language that we are going to find together. And it can be through any tool. It can be art, it can be drawings, it can be music, it can be movies, books that help put language in the experience of the clients. And all these are little treasures that we can grab on in what is exciting for the person. Where, where do you see that there is something that is alive in the person? And when you see this aliveness in the here and now, because as a counselors, we're going to work in the here and now. And when we see this aliveness, what can we learn from this? How can we trigger it? This is Three People in Your Head, a podcast about getting the best out of yourself and others. Co-hosted by Matt Taylor and myself, Parul Narora. Sponsored by the International Transactional Analysis Association and the European Association for Transactional Analysis. In this episode, we speak to Sylvie Monin. Sylvie is a teaching and supervising transactional analyst in the counselling field and a psychosocial counsellor working with people in difficulty, going through crises or wishing to do in-depth personal development work. We talk about script and its positive traits, hungers, enlivening hope, and how TA counselling, working with the adult ego state, facilitates change. We hope you enjoy. Hello, Sylvie. It is so lovely to have you here, and I'm so excited to be talking to you as a guest on this podcast. Thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you, Parul, and thank you, Matt, for the invitation. So I'm really uh, looking forward to this conversations that we're going to have with you and with uh, with Matt. So thank you really for the invitation. Brilliant. Thank Sorry. you. So Sylvie, I know you have so many things on your list. Uh, your introduction was really long if you were to go through the whole thing. But I'm going to invite you to talk a little bit about the roles and responsibilities that you hold within the TA community. Okay, yes. So right now in my roles, uh, I have a role in ITAA where I'm the vice president operations uh, since last July when there there was the last uh, general assembly. Uh, Before that, I was the ITAA European representative for a year or two. Um, And previously, I was very involved in EATA where I was the Swiss delegate for eight years of which six as uh, vice president, one of the three vice presidents of EATA. And for me, it's important to be part of the associations because I think it's really the associations that keep TA alive. Yeah. yeah. Sure. That's very important. Yeah. So you're heavily involved. Um, I've been heavily involved. I've also just ended this year TAJ co-editor for nine years. That has been a, a huge amount of work, but also extremely satisfying. Yeah. And uh, the story started actually with an issue of the TAJ that was dedicated to the counseling field, where I was invited to be a guest editor. And it was very exciting that the counseling field is still so uh, little known in some countries yeah. uh, to have this special issue. And there are some wonderful articles in this issue, and the one from Bill Cornell, who related the history of the fields that was quite uh, fascinating. Ah, interesting. interesting. I'll have to have a look at that. <laughs> yeah. And then you already talked about counselling and as your expertise, but do you want to go back a little bit and tell us how you discovered TA mm-hmm. and what drew you, what draws you to it? Yeah, 
I think it was about 20 years ago already. I was I, in my previous life, I was working as an executive assistant. Uh, that brought me at one point to the United States. I worked for international organization and then multinational private banking sector here in Switzerland. Uh, and then I really got fed up with this work and I wanted to do something more human related. Mm. And um, so I decided I wanted to go in, into the helping relationship, which was my dream as a child. I always wanted to be a nurse then. Uh, and one day, a friend told me about TA and said, have you ever heard about transactional analysis? Because I was looking at what modality I would like to learn or to train in. I said, no, I've never heard of TA. But I went and I did a 101. And that did it. I decided then that that's what I want to train in. Uh, and luckily, there was a training center here in Geneva. So I could start my training. Wow. And how long ago was that? Well, that was 20 years ago. 20 years. Yeah. yeah. And um, for the second part of your question, what really attracted me during this 101 was the optimistic uh, philosophy of TA, mm. that we all made decisions at one point in our lives, but we can always make new decisions. So in that sense, we are really actors of our lives. And I thought that was so optimistic. We can change. We can evolve. And that was really my my passion, mm. uh, and that uh, everybody is okay. That was one of the strong philosophy mm. of TA that I that I really like. That sounds simple when you hear it. You know, I'm okay. You're okay. We're okay, and it's so complex. <laughs> it's very <laughs> true. <laughs> it is, I, yeah, I love those foundational principles. Mm. They seem, as you say, so simple, and yet you can go so deep with each yeah. one of them. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said that what drew you to it was that liberating optimism that you can change. Mm -hmm. And even though it's so simple, I think uh, it's also one of the myths of TA, right? That it's so simple, then it yeah. probably won't stick. Yes. And I think that probably at one time, at least in Europe, TA was discounted because it was seen as being a kind of simplistic or too simple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it's true that in one hand, it's helpful because you have this language that is easy to grab. Or, you know, if I draw the drama triangle or the symbiosis or different concepts for yeah. clients, it, right away they have an image. Yeah. But then there is such a depth and complexity. You know, if I think of the ego states, for example, even today, I'm, I continue to learn. It's such a subtle concept and how yeah. they interact. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's what I like about TA is at the same time, it's, it seems simple and accessible. But on the other hand, it can really trigger very deep work and in its complexity, but also in its subtleties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very true. And you talked about how people have the choice to change. And you talked about the optimism that drew you to it and in the form that you... Uh, wrote about when we were prepping for this podcast, you you talked about the script also as a very optimistic concept. And oftentimes we've imagined or thought of script as something that's limiting. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder yeah. if you'd like to talk about how that, again, is another thing that drew you uh, as a mm -hmm. concept. I Actually, I that... was going to, before we do, I'm going to do my bit of jumping in and 
would you be able to, I don't know, this might be a bit of a stretch. Would you be able to inform our non-TA listeners what, mm-hmm. what script is or what script means within the TA framework? Yeah. Because you talked about actors as well. So you, yeah. you mentioned the word actor and I thought that was really interesting. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, well, you know, if you think of script as a theater play, yeah, uh, you have the main characters and you have all these actors on the stage. And uh, I think your script is like that. Uh, it's like a play that we put into place. There were the main characters when we were born that were there and uh, that influenced our life, the way we were brought up, yeah. the message that we got, the models that we got from our parental or um, figures of authority. It can be also teachers or uncles or bigger brothers and sisters, all kinds of people can really impact on our script. Yeah. And I think that's also what is fascinating about the development of script is that at the beginning, Byrne talked about, you know, father and mother. Yeah. Uh, but then it, it evolved. And now we see that there can be so many actors. So mm-hmm. the, the script is the vehicle, the way we construct, we make meaning of life. The script gives a structure. And, uh, and we know that structure is one of the three fundamental hangers that Byrne is talking about. Mm. So scripts help us making meaning of what's happening uh, and also trying to solve problems and, and see what are the beliefs we have on ourselves and the others on the world. There's also hope in the script. What else can I go do differently? How do I want my life to move forwards? And I think if I think of the clients, when they come to see me, there is this hope when they come in consultation, they really, there is something they would like to change. And it's really Fanita English who was the first to talk about script in a positive, really positive way. And as a vehicle that allows us to blossom rather than inhibits our being. Of course, there can be very strong inhibitions, prohibitions. Uh, script messages that can be dramatic and I don't want to discount that at all yeah uh, but it's not only that it's really a, a structure that allows us if I take Fanita's words to blossom mm. uh, and to to move on yeah in the structure that it gives yeah I'm mm. curious about how that piece of theory how you use that with your clients and especially because this is a counseling field episode where you're a TSTA in the counseling field you mentioned working with your clients how do you use the script theory to facilitate the change and to enliven the hope of your clients when they come to see you mm-hmm. yeah that's really an interesting and challenging question <laughs> sorry uh, <laughs> No, no, it's great uh, because actually, you know, there's always been this struggle between psychotherapy field, counseling field, what counselors can do or not do. And one of the things I learned or or I heard, I didn't learn it, otherwise I wouldn't do it. But what I heard a lot is counselors don't work at the script level, psychotherapists do. Really? Uh, and, you know, I think... Our script is alive in the here and now. Yeah. As three talking together, our yeah. script is there with us. Yeah. So when working with a, with a client, 
Uh, of course, the client is going to bring here her script in the room. I cannot ask uh, one of my trainers says, you know, it's like we ask the client to keep the script in the waiting room or the emotions <laughs> in the waiting room because yeah. we don't work with emotions because emotions will, will be regressive. And if you regress, that's not counseling. Um, so there is an, an author, Lisbeth Fassbind, who's a, a Swiss author who wrote for that issue of the TAJ that I mentioned before, Counseling as a treasure hunt. That was the name of her article. Nice. And it's really working and looking at what are the resources of the person. Right. And in her diagram, she put the script as a resources in the past. And that had really me thinking. And I, I think that the script is a resource of the past, the present, and in the hope that it can bring or the hope we have of changing our life, also a resource for the future. Right. So working with the resources of the person, we help the person to make more sense of, you know, what is the, the belief of the person? What are the emotions, the behaviors? Why does the person come to think about it in a specific way? Uh, are the emotions related in the here and now? Uh, are these emotions triggered by past memories? And doing all this work, having uh, we started to say that it was going to be a conversation that we're having together. And that's how yeah. I see my work with clients. It's really a conversation where I learn, they learn, and we try to figure it out together. Yeah. So it's like getting, there are the limiting aspects of their lives, but also all kind of new facets. If I, I like this term that Lizlot uses of treasure hand, all these treasures that the person has in himself, herself, that can be brought to life. And it's mm-hmm. like it's like the pieces of a puzzle. You know, you, you you get all these pieces of the puzzle to get a greater and greater and greater and wider image of who you are and who you are in this life and with others. Mm-hmm. Very I thorough. love that visual of the treasure mm-hmm. and the treasure hunt. Such a beautiful visual. And again, there's hope in it because there's mm-hmm. something that you feel like there's something to be discovered, something new, something valuable that you can then mm-hmm. use. So mm-hmm. the concept yeah. of resources and treasure is beautiful. I was curious about, I have a friend from 20 years ago who contacted me who's a counselor in another field and she she just came across the podcast and I thought from her perspective I was wondering what it is that enables you to spot a person's script so as a professional what helps you to identify oh this is a piece of script as in oh this is treasure here so what Mm -hmm. what do you look out for when you're working Mm -hmm. with your clients I think actually the treasure is probably in the script also. Uh, if we see the script as not only the inhibiting aspects and limiting aspects, but also all the permissions that we got in our life, all the strategies that we put together in our lives, some that are not working anymore, but some that help us survive. And in these strategies, there are resources. And, and what do you look for? to notice what is script and what's Mm -hmm. just conversation Mm -hmm. or, you know, how do you determine that? Mm. (laughs) I know these are difficult questions. (laughs) It's it's a great question. And uh, I think it depends the way way we see script. Yeah. 
if I see script in its limiting aspects with the client, I will look at all the what we call injunctions in TA, the message that, that say don't do or don't be important or don't feel or don't think all these, okay. these different messages that we can have yeah. or all these messages that say you you are okay if, which has okay. which is yeah. conditional messages. So, so these injunctions, uh, counter injunctions, drivers also as we can call them, uh, are going to give me ideas, you know, how did the script of the person evolve? If I think of the script matrix by Steiner, uh, what are all these different messages that are there? Yeah. Uh, where is the person stuck? That yeah. also gives me often uh, an indication. Uh, does the person have the, the freedom to feel emotions or not? Uh, how is the person thinking? How is the person behaving? Because that's all script manifestation. Right. What are the fantasies of the person? So that gives me elements of the script. Sometimes I draw them. You know, there is this yeah. uh, script system yeah. uh, that Richard Erskine uh, wrote about. And yeah. sometimes I draw it with my clients and, and we look at it together. Right. It can be helpful and sometimes not. I remember <laughs> yeah. a time when a, a client was completely horrified when she looked at everything that came out because it really? sounded so dramatic. But then mm -hmm. out of this, how could she see how she has survived and what helped her to survive? And then we go back to the treasure. What are these little treasure, these little diamonds that we can grab and that uh, gives hope? Can you give an example of what those diamonds might be or uh, the treasure what might you notice or see in a client i tell you about the client that i've just seen before this podcast it's a person that has a dramatic story really really hurtful and it's like her life was in black and white and today she was explaining to me how uh, she used colors to make a drawing and send it as a message to a friend. So it's like suddenly she was able to find colors in herself. That's the treasure. Nice. Okay. So it's a little shift, seemingly small, but... But enormous in her life. Right. Yeah. And using resources can also be... I'm thinking of another person that I'm watching with. He sings his music and he uses music to help him express his emotions, his feelings, what he wants to convey. And yeah. that's a treasure. And how can we build, you know, it's like, what is the language that we're going to find together? And it can be through any tool. It can be art, it can be drawings, it can be music, it can be movies, books that help put language in the experience of the clients. And all these are little treasures that we can grab on in what is exciting for the person. Where where do you see that there is something that is alive in the person? And when you see this aliveness in the here and now, because as a counselors, we are going to work in the here and now. And when we see this aliveness, what can we learn from this? How can we trigger it? Or sometimes mm -hmm. there's just a flicker of excitement in the eyes. And what's there? And when you push on the button of what is alive, there you find treasures. Brilliant. Yeah. I love that and, answer. <laughs> I feel enlivened by hearing that. Wonderful. I was just thinking that there's a lot that, that has been said in TA about the secure base, how to have a secure base. Yeah. Uh, but Bill Cornell, to name him, 
speaks about a vital base. I really think that is important. How do we encourage vitality? Of course, we need a secure base in life. And often the counseling will offer that secure, well, a kind of secure base in that it's a safe environment where the person can explore uh, what's going on in his or her life. But it's also a place where the vitality can blossom and how can we encourage that vitality. And I would say that allowing the person to become more and more alive to himself or herself. Of, you say that a livelier version of, uh, of himself or herself. Well, a more alive version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Love it. Like the colors you talked about, the example of the colors and the message is a livelier version. Yeah, yeah, typically. Mm -hmm. And I wonder when you talked about hunger earlier and you said that script satisfies basic hungers, I wonder if that is one of the things that also nudges the person to discover more or to go down that, you know, treasure path to discover what's there. Mm -hmm. So what are those hungers that you were talking about? If you could go a little deeper into that. Yeah, Eric Byrne named three basic hungers. And he used that word hunger because he really saw that it was as important as, as the food that we are eating. Mm. Uh, and he spoke about the stimulation hungers, uh, recognition hungers, and structure hunger. And something that I've been thinking about is that when we are not even born and we are in the, the mother's womb, there is already a rhythm, the rhythm of the heartbeat, the rhythm of the movement of the mother the movement of the body. So it's like there is already structure. If we think yeah. of rhythm, bringing structure. Mm -hmm. And then as the baby comes alive, there is breath. And with breath comes the sensations, the body sensations. That's all the stimulation. And as adult beings, we still need to be stimulated in our senses. So the script, as Fanita English writes, answers that uh, hunger for structure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the structure and in the script and in the life of the person, the person has received some recognition. And it will be important to look at what is the kind of recognition that the person got. Is it positive recognition or is it negative recognition like humiliation, discounting, uh, maybe violence? And how can the person learn uh, maybe to get or to give different types of recognition? So that's an important hunger that we are going to look at too in counseling. And I'm always interested to see when I'm working with, with a person, is one of the hungers more invested than the others? Mm -hmm. What does this give me as an indication? When you say invested, mm -hmm. how do you tell? How do you notice whether someone's more invested in one hunger mm -hmm. than another? Yeah, I'll give you an example. Maybe that's the best way to mm -hmm. illustrate it. I'm thinking of a, of a man who was doing a lot of uh, parasailing. Do you say that? Parasailing? Yeah. yeah. Para, yeah. From the mountains. Yeah. yeah. And he was going there every weekend, anytime, every minute he had, he would go up the mountains and do parasailing to the point that he was taking too many risks. Oh. And we've been wondering together, what is this? quest for more and more stimulation because parasailing is a sensory experience, body experience. It's a lot of stimulation. Usually he did it alone. Yeah. And in, in his life, 
he was very, very lonely, not having any conversations. So he would compensate that lack of recognition by seeking overstimulation. Right. And, and to make these observations helps to find another balance. What needs to be increased in that mm -hmm. he could at least start to take less risks <laughs> in parasailing. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, stupid, that sounds important. In a way, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, that really makes sense. Yeah. And and when I'm working with clients, uh, and, and that's quite new in my practice, but I I like often in the session to have a place where the person can just be attentive to the breathing and the mm -hmm. body and just find that initial rhythm. Breathing is a normal thing that we do as human beings, but it's rhythm. And it's life, and yeah. that it also brings uh, structure and, and have the person be aware of the here and now and the experience in the here and now. Mm. I noted you talked about the integration of mindfulness into your practice, mm -hmm. and that's something I, I use similarly. Mm. The, the, Wonderful, yeah. The principles of mindfulness and the, the idea of being present and attentive using the breath as an anchor. Fantastic. Yeah. And in a way, it nourishes the three hangers because you're aware of your body, so your sensation, stimulus, hunger. Yeah. Uh, it gives structure in the same, at the same time. And it's a recognition that you give to yourself, taking opening this space for yourself. And that's so wow. interesting. I've never thought of it as a form of structure. Uh -huh. That is a really interesting way of, of framing it. Really good. Mm -hmm. I like it. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I love how it's an example of how tea is so simple that you can apply it to any concept and it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. we were talking that, Sylvie, you were talking about how a livelier version of yourself when you said mm -hmm. that facilitating a livelier version of a client. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about the optimism and hope in script. And there's another part of it, which was about how, as you change, you also lose a part of you. And I wonder how there are two sides of growth and change, where you have mm -hmm. hope and optimism and this treasure that you discover. And yet at mm -hmm. the, on the other side, there is something you're leaving behind. Yeah. And how grieving yeah. is linked to that. Yeah, thank you for this, this question, Pahul. Um, you know, at one point in my life, I was thinking that life is a, an overall grieving process and that psychotherapy or counseling or any kind of self-development work that you're going to do is an ongoing grieving process. And then I thought, but it's also a rebirthing process, which is more optimistic. But I think you have to say goodbye to say hello. And the better you manage to say goodbye, the better you will be able to say hello. And I think that when we are working with scripts, there can be really uh, strong and scary moments where the person is transgressing uh, something that was not allowed, is transgressing an injunction. And that can be absolutely terrifying for the person. So he's, how do we support that move at the same time, listen to what is terrifying, and at the same time gives the permission and the protection for the person to make a new experience? Mm -hmm. I remember vividly a client who was at the point of transgressing one of these uh, injunctions and allowing herself uh, to go on stage and, and to take her place. 
and how she was terrified. And I remember her telling me, but it's like I'm killing a part of myself. Mm. It's like by allowing herself to do something new, to be a bigger version of herself. At the same time, she was not loyal to a more archaic part, uh, a previous part of herself that had learned to live in the shadow and to be in the shadow. So she mm-hmm. felt it was like killing that part of herself. And we worked on how how would it be rather than killing that part of herself, how would it be to take that part of herself by the hand and say, okay, let's go and try a new experience. Mm-hmm. Great. So it's like you're integrating, bringing it with you. Yeah, exactly. Lovely. Integrating, exactly. I think it's also a work of being inclusive. You know, we speak a lot about inclusivity these days in yeah. our world. But it's like being inclusive with all these parts that I have in me, uh, all the developmental stages, all the hurt, all the pain, but also all the hopes and the joy and the pleasure. And how can I really be inclusive of all these aspects, these aspects that I like maybe less, these aspects that I like best, yeah. But they're all part of me. There's yeah. nothing that needs to be thrown out. Yeah. It's like if the story of my life is a book. Even the bad chapter, they're in the book. Mm-hmm. But when, mm-hmm. at what do I do with these chapters? Do I want to tear them off, but it's going to have a big, nasty <laughs> hole in the book? Or do I keep it in, but do I look at it in a, through a different angle? And how can I can I work also with my emotions through my emotions, looking at these chapters? Yeah, mm-hmm. love it. I was curious about something just mentioned before we started recording, and this was about your thoughts, particularly around the counselling profession and the counselling approaches. Is that what you were describing? I guess I'm opening it up to you to speak more about mm-hmm. uh, your thoughts on counselling in TA uh, specifically, because yeah. we really want to use this podcast as a platform to give that field more exposure in some ways Mm -hmm. and so I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on those different ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah thank you for this question Matt it's an important one. Mm. Uh, The counseling field is the latest one that has been described in TA. Yeah. Because first it was psychotherapy then there were special fields and then education organization. The counseling field, really, it's in the 1990s that EATA had a task force group that started to discuss the counseling field and develop the core competencies of the counseling field. Okay. And I think in some countries, counseling, psychotherapy are all part of university degrees and part of the clinical field. Yeah. In Europe, there are more distinctions. And there are some countries where counseling fields doesn't exist. Either you're a psychotherapist or you're nothing, but there is right. no, uh, there is no counseling field. Yeah. And in EATA, what I what I find really interesting and ITAA is that the counseling field is described along two axes. You have what we call the complementary counseling. These are counselors who have a job and they're going to integrate TA concepts in that job. And for example, if I think of trainees that I've had. Uh, policemen, nurses, people from the church. I remember a midwife, uh, even a hairdresser at one time. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, all uh, managers, human resource managers, all people that are uh, dealing with the relationship and yeah. what's going on in the relationship, in the communication. 
can implement TA concepts into their work. Yeah. And that's what we call complementary counseling. So it's, it's really a tremendous variety of areas, domains of application. Yeah. And then there is what uh, they call in EATA ITAA the, the primary counseling, which is the counseling that I'm doing in that I have my private practice and I see clients on an individual basis or sometimes in groups. Okay. Uh, and I so, think these, these two aspects use the similar concepts yeah. that will work differently with them. And there the contract will be very important. What is the contract I have the, with the person? If I'm, a, for example, um, for example, I'm thinking of a deacon that we had in one uh, training. If I'm a deacon and then I see people coming to visit me and seek my advice, how do I work as a deacon? How do I integrate TA in my work as a deacon? And that, what is the contract we're going to have together? And what will I do within this work? I was going to ask, just because I thought, I'm not sure I've asked this many times historically on our podcast. Could you briefly tell us what you mean when you say contract in terms of what that means in TA? Oh, yeah, sure. Because I think that's one of the, the basic of TA and in the, the philosophy yeah. of TA, the yeah. theories of TA. Uh, the contract in the sense that, that we are always going to define together what we will work on. Yeah. And there is a bilateral nature of contract in that both counselor and client agree and what we're going to work on and decide together. Yeah. And that's a safety net. And the contract, again, answers the hunger for structure. Yeah. And I think depending in what context I'm going to uh, use TA as a counselor, be it in complementary counseling or primary counseling, the contract will make a, a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine the illustration of the deacon and his contract mm -hmm. in his role with the member of his congregation or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Very different yeah. from your primary example where they're coming to you specifically for an hour or, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even when a client comes for individual work, we are going to start having a contract. What are we doing here together? And sometimes it can take a long time before we have a contract, but at least we know that we haven't reached a contract. Yes. And how do we work within this, uh, within this frame? And in the contract, we also include, you know, what are the risks of sabotaging? How is the person going to sabotage himself or herself? What is the skills, the competence that the counselor is bringing into the work? What are the skills and the competence that the client is bringing into the work? In that sense of the bilateral nature, we are both in there. Yeah. And we are both okay. There's not yeah. one that is higher up. You know, and uh, how am I going to to model this and to uh, emphasize it in the relationship? Right. Yeah. And that's very yeah. important, isn't it? That you both have a say in what the work is going to be. That it's yeah. not just the client saying, this is what I want, or you saying, this is how it's going to be. Um, this is what you need to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I want to. Sorry, go on. Yeah. Paul. I was going to ask because you said counseling is a relatively newer field and you talked about the different ways that people can apply it. So for those who might not be yet decided or maybe they're thinking about a secondary expertise, how did you choose? What made you choose counseling? Good question. Hmm. Yeah, good question. Well, you know, actually, when I started TA, I was interested, as I said before, in its philosophy and theories. 
And I didn't really think about in which field I would practice. I just knew I wanted to go into the helping profession. Yeah. And it so happens that in Switzerland, we have very strict laws and regulations about the field of psychotherapy. Right. Uh, so I didn't want to go back to university and have a, a master's degree in psychology and then do some years of clinical experience. So yeah. that was a no, right? And then education organization didn't really speak to me in my previous work experience and, and where I wanted to go. So that left me with the counseling field. And I was very lucky that in Geneva, we had Jenny Hine, who was instrumental in developing the counseling field and all that the counseling field could offer. So for me, honestly, counseling field was perfect to help me to have me work with people who are seeking help in the here and now and how can they improve their life or work through their struggles and uh, dilemmas and conflicts, internal conflicts, external conflicts. So that sounded great. And I really got invested in that field and have been uh, an advocate for having it more recognized mm -hmm. because it's really, uh, it's been painful at times because counseling was seen as a second-class therapist. I mentioned that TAJ issue about um, counseling. Mm. There is a, a wonderful article there by Nick Landek, who wrote about uh, working within limits. Mm. And he writes that the, and the, I have the paper here so I could read it, but he writes that psychiatrists are lords, psychologists the landed gentry social workers, the merchants with various status and success, and counselors, the street sweepers. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> that's quite uh. controversial. Gosh. But actually, you know, if I'm thinking currently in France, there is there are big strikes because of you know, political reasons. And in Paris, the bins have not been collected for days now. So yeah. there are... That we choose all over the streets. So the street sweepers are so important. Yeah. I remember in lockdown in the UK, how much the communities celebrated the people who collected the waste because yeah. we appreciated that they were going out to work and they were keeping the order and allowing things yeah. to continue. And, and these are people who would normally be ignored or forgotten. So, <laughs> mm. Yeah. yeah, I'm proud to be a street sweeper. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Good for you. And some heroes. Yeah. Actually, I've really been uh, involved in, in having, I think all fields in a way overlap, but all yeah. fields have their own uh, flavor, identity, limits. Mm. I think what is extremely important is that I know my limits. Yes. What am I trained to do? Yeah. And what am I not trained to do? Yeah. Uh, which for me is more important than the limits that are put on paper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not trained to do or to induce regressive work. Yeah. Uh, it's not something I'm doing as a counselor. Yeah. But then a person will spontaneously regress sometimes in the session. You cannot avoid it. Yeah. What do I do to bring back the adult? How do I do? Jose Grégoire has this beautiful word to describe the adult ego states where he speaks about lucidity. How do I bring more lucidity in the here and now and the capacity to observe what's happening, to make sense of what's happening, to put words on what's happening mm -hmm. that will help the client uh, mobilize the adult ego states and be in the here and now 
rather than what psychotherapists might do or to increase or trigger more regression. Yeah. So that, for example, is a, is a limit. But it's really, I like this word of, of being lucid. Mm. And um, my mind goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where you were talking about the structure of the breath and the experience of the breath and how grounding that can be. And I was wondering, are those the kind of strategies that you might use for bringing, mm -hmm. enlivening the lucidity or, or bringing about more lucidity? Yeah, definitely. I'm sure the there's loads, isn't there? I'm sure there's loads of techniques. <laughs> no, but definitely this is one. Really going back to the breath, take time, breathe, and being a firm presence beside the person. Sometimes I'm going to put words on what I observe that helps the person trigger the adult ego states and then make sense of what's been happening in the child, what is there in the parent ego states. Yeah. Uh, so, so the narrative, the words are extremely important. Interesting. And yes, the breath. I realized that breathing helps me be more anchored. Mm. And it's like it also opens uh, another space within the conversation. So it's, I think the breath can be holding a containment. Yeah. It's I always so leave these conversations wanting to train in the field of the the guest that we're interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> I now want to know all these techniques that you use to, to enhance <laughs> how lucid someone is. But um, sorry for all of you. No, you can definitely write that paper. <laughs> <laughs> Get that counseling CTA and it's done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a, a transactional analyst that mentions that said one day that counselors are the general practitioner and then you have the specialization psychotherapy education organization. I like that. I like that a lot like better that. than the previous one. <laughs> yeah. you talked street sweeper Yeah, I, yeah, I would definitely go with that one. Much <laughs> that better. one, yeah. <laughs> it's I interesting like it you're talking about how counseling uh, DA is so simple. You're talking about breath and lucidity. And you also talked about the different kind of people who can use counseling when you talked about primary and complementary. And I wonder... Why is TA not well known if the application is so diverse and so universal? I know, Parul, this is so frustrating. <laughs> and it's something that I'm, I'm fighting about. Honestly, I, I think that the fact that TA in many countries is not in, in the universities and has never been recognized as a modality to be trained in the universities doesn't help. Mm. So I yeah. think that that plays probably a big role. I know that now in, in Europe, I know in Switzerland, there's more and more requests for university diplomas or equivalent. In, in Switzerland, we have the academic yeah. uh, sector with you know universities and then the equivalent with federal uh, diplomas or certification. Mm -hmm. So people are looking for training who are going to give them these accreditations yeah. that TA doesn't. Because if you say, okay, I'm a certified transactional analyst, doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So now in Switzerland, we have something that is quite new, probably since about 15 years, but it started actually with a majority of transactional analysts who developed a federal diploma of psychosocial counselors. Oh, so in yeah. Switzerland, I can call myself, I'm a, the title is I'm a counselor in the psychosocial domain with a federal diploma. That would be the title. Great. So now there is a recognition of the counseling field. And if you're certified in TA, 
you can have a bridge and get that diploma with just taking one part of the exam, but not doing the whole thing. Great. So, so that's good for the counseling field. But for example, and that's been really, really something very hard for the psychotherapist. Uh, psychotherapy has not been accredited as a valid modality in Switzerland. So we have no people training in psychotherapy, TA except psychotherapists who wants to learn TA because they think it's going to be, you know, a nice addition to their, their training and, or their master. But uh, it, it's really sad. And I know in, in Spain it's the same. In France, at one point, TA was considered as a sect. That, was in, when I read that, yeah. when I read that, I thought that is so fascinating. I mean, I could <laughs> talk for a long time about that, but I won't. Maybe not. Yeah, and and I, I think that did a lot of damage to TA actually. So now it's been taken out of the list, but still. Yeah. So I think for all these reasons, and then there is a one part that I still don't understand, but it's like TA is in the shadow. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah. And why? How? Honestly, well, the reasons that I'm, I just stated, but otherwise I don't know. Yeah. And and it's frustrating because you know trainees or people who come to a one on one are very excited, enthusiastic, see how they can use it right away, yeah. some of the concepts in their personal life or professional life, but then it's like it's dying somewhere. Yeah. Mm. Although oh. this kind of accreditation that you're talking about is a step in the right direction. It's about hope that there will yes. be more and more regulation mm. and Hopefully. validation yeah. of, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm with you in terms of the value that TA has. It's a huge body of work that is incredibly yeah. valuable. And I, similarly, it's one of the reasons for the podcast. John and I thought, what? why is this not out there more in the, yeah. you know, more obvious, more easy to get hold of? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, hopefully that'll change. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. And I think that this podcast theory that you have is wonderful for that mm. purpose. Uh, I think the THJ is playing a very important work, yeah. uh, role, as there are lots of authors. We need more counselors to write, but it's easy for yes. me to say as I'm not writing myself. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. So it's keeping TA alive, and and our associations, as I said before, are keeping TA alive. Yeah. But the the certification process is a long one. It's a yeah. can be an expensive one. And we are in a world where everybody wants to go fast and fast and fast. So that doesn't make it very easy to go to the certification process. Yeah, those barriers to entry are, yeah, things that I think in the future may be able to be adjusted or addressed in some way. I think that is it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. Mm -hmm. mm. mm -hmm. It's great. Mm -hmm. We could keep talking, but since we are talking about going faster and faster, I wanted to... No, what do you do to slow down, Sylvie? And you're looking for downtime. Oh, I love to to lose myself in books and fictions and yeah. nothing to do with psychology. And uh, <laughs> that that when I do that reading, it's like it's part of work. <laughs> yeah. um, books, uh, movies. I love I like the outdoors, so to go out walking. Um, I'm not doing it so much anymore, but I used to play the violin, which I love. I love music. So music is a big source for me to slow down. Yeah. Uh, meditation. I really like to take time to, to meditate. Yeah. These types of things. Nice.
I was going to ask Sylvie if there's anything you wanted to share, particularly important to the TA community or the community at large. Well, um, I think I'd like to share that I'm proud to be part of this uh, community uh, and to this and, and participate to the development of TA, even if we just said how difficult it is, but still to uh, to contribute as best as, as I can for TA to be to be better known because I think it's it's so important and it profoundly changed my life both in the personal work that I did, but in the, in the people that I've met uh, all over the world with TA and the friends that I've made. And uh, I think that is really wonderful. And I'm very, very grateful for this. Mm. You strike me as a person who has found treasure. Mm. You know, you talk, to, you talk about the diamonds. You have such a, a positivity and a bright spirit mm. about you. It seems like you're living what you teach. And so really enjoyed that. I'm trying to, not always easy, but I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank I you for your time. Overall, I trust in life. Yeah. This has been so interesting. So many concepts came out in such a short time to have so many nuggets that are making me think. And I'm sure our listeners have lots that they're taking away from this conversation as well. Mm. So we thank you so much for your time today for being so generous with your thoughts, with the concepts and for making it so simple. What we love about you, you just made it sound so simple. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. Thank you, Ahul, and and you, Matt, because it's been a wonderful experience discussing with you, honestly. Uh, Stimulating. I was talking earlier about this philosophy of TA and being really there in this respectful space uh, and sharing ideas. And I think that's a wonderful experience and maybe that models TA very well. Yeah, I think that's true. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. It's been great. Thank you. Yes, wonderful. Thank you. As always, if you found anything in today's episode interesting, please feel free to reach out. You can visit our website, which has lots of information and TA resources, transactionalanalysispodcast.com. You can connect with us on all major platforms, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you can email us at threepeopleinyourhead at gmail.com using the number three rather than the word. If you aren't already, please follow us wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening. Sponsored by the International Transactional Analysis Association. You can find more information on the ITAA at www.itaaworld.org and the European Association for Transactional Analysis. You can find more information on IATA at www.iatanews.org.